one. You know, mm-hmm. I was laughing with Malik. I'm like, it felt like there were 14 things and only you needed one of them to happen. Right? Yeah. It was like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like... Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast. I am Easton Freeze, your host, director of published content here at BroadwaySportsMedia.com. We're also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network. And I am joined once again in our final episode of Me From C by producer JT. JT, how are you? How are things back in Tennessee? They're good. Happy Friday. Made it through another work week. Uh, of course, I am a bit jealous of how you've been spending this week compared to... <laughs> <laughs> how landlocked I am in Nashville, but it's been good. I'm excited to talk some Titans today and uh, kind of preview this game on Sunday. But of course, how have you been? How's the trip? How's vacation? How's life out in the middle of the ocean? It's been great. It's been fantastic. Um, if, if you are just tuning into the show for the first time this week, I'm on my honeymoon right now with my new gorgeous, fantastic wife. Eleanor and we're having a great time um, but I had to during the NFL season take a couple of minutes away this week from the vacation to talk a little bit about the Titans because the show must go on with the podcast and so we luckily have a couple of great guests today by the way today is not only a hot read podcast from C but it also is a hot read podcast from C birthday edition because this is coming out on Friday, November the 11th, which is my birthday. So happy birthday to me. Birthday, honeymoon, <laughs> crazy. A lot of things going on right now in my life. Um, but excited nonetheless to be talking about the Titans. Uh, but we'll get to that in a moment. We've got a couple of really great guests this week to kind of fill in the show around uh, my absence. It's been great. It's been an awesome trip. We, we went to a, a handful of different ports of call, which were fantastic. Spent the morning yesterday on a private pink sand beach in St. Thomas, the U.S. Virgin Islands. Just fantastic and so relaxing. Um, but yeah, it's been great. The food's been great. Um, we managed to dodge the hurricane that is currently lambasting the east coast of the U.S. and Florida. Start to make our way back towards Miami. We've gotten into some choppy water today, so I'm actually recording um, from a very rocky cruise ship right now i've been on a couple of cruises before and this is the first time i've ever been on one where you can feel the boat constantly moving wherever you are i feel like i've been just hammered at 10 a.m this morning walking (laughs) around the hallways trying to keep my balance perfectly sober it's been a wild experience but it's been a great week it's been awesome yeah, you're stronger than me. I, I Considering those conditions, I don't know if I'd be able to hold up on that cruise ship today. I'm sure there are a lot of uh, very seasick people, uh, but I, I'm not one of them. I'm just a little, got a little headache and a little woozy, but otherwise, happy to be here and That's happy good. to talk yeah. about the Titans. Yeah, we got a couple of guests today. James Foster is back on a James Foster Friday, so that's fantastic. We'll talk to him in a couple of moments about the Titans kind of a mid-season report card of sorts with the Titans and uh, just some some thoughts on some of the Titans players from the tape so far this year at the midway point, as well as talking about this Broncos team coming to town, what their defense looks like, why it's so ferocious, and then a, a guy on the offense that James, for the Broncos that is, is looking forward to seeing play, thinks that he's gone a little bit underrated at this point. So that's a fascinating conversation. Also going to talk to who we've had on the show a couple of times now, 
Sean McAvoy, private QB coach for Malik Willis. Thought it'd be great to have him on after a couple of weeks of Malik Willis at the helm for the Titans to talk about what he's seen from his pupil the past couple of weeks, what he's seen in terms of week-to-week improvement. I think there's a lot to talk about there, so excited to speak to him on that front. But before we get into those things, gee, let us get into the news of the week. I'll throw it to producer JT with the Titans news. Alrighty, let's jump into the news here on this Friday morning, of course, talking about the Thursday injury report. And for the Titans, the injury report has always been scary this year, but this week it's maybe the most brutal it's been this entire season. So let's start with the players mm. who have yet to practice this week. Let's talk about Bud Dupree with that nagging hip injury, Jeffrey Simmons with an ankle injury, Amani Hooker once again with that shoulder and then Tier Tart with an illness and Zach Cunningham with an elbow. Easton, which of these players stand out to you as players to be concerned about not going this week, and which of them are not too much of a cause for concern? Well, the biggest thing that stands out to me is the overarching theme of, holy cow, this defense is banged up beyond belief right now after a really dominant performance from the Titans defense on Sunday Night Football. We're seeing a handful of these our veteran players for the Titans deep go down with injuries that have been nagging for a couple of weeks now. Jeffrey Simmons, DNP for a couple of days this week with that ankle that has been bothering him for two and a half weeks. We've seen Imani Hooker on and off the injury report all year long with his shoulder as well as with an, a concussion earlier on. He's been quite good when he's been on the field this year, but he just can't stay on the field for the Titans. And then, uh, you mentioned Bud Dupree with his hip. That's another injury that he's had for four or five weeks. Zach Cunningham with the elbow. He just came back, I believe, last week or the week before. These Titans just cannot stay healthy. They can't get healthy and stay healthy. And with so many injuries piling up on the defensive side of the ball, it's been brutal for them. Now, there are a couple of guys on here that don't worry me that much. I know Jeffrey Simmons' agent said on Twitter earlier today that he was, uh, yes, still in a walking boot, but he wasn't at practice because he was visiting some family. So, it, and he with a laughing, crying emoji. Now, read into that what you will. It kind of sounds like a guy that um, isn't too worried about his client being healthy and ready to go and ready to play. With Jeffrey Simmons, we've seen him miss practice the past couple of weeks and it not matter and him play at a high level on Sundays. So, I'm not throwing up the red flag on that one yet. With Tier Tart with an illness, you know, with an illness, guys can be on the injury report all week with an illness and then be good to go on Sunday because they're not actually hurt. They're just sick. If he can get healthy and soon, then uh, you'd imagine he'll be back in short order. So he could very easily be a factor in this game. And then there's a couple of guys on the offensive front I'll let you get into here that are also on the injury report. Yeah, and then just one more touching on this defense and how banged up they are. Kristen Fulton showed up today with a DNP. Yes. Um, do you think he'll be on the field this week, or do you think he's leaning towards maybe not being able to suit up? He better be. They've got to have him against pretty talented uh, wide receiver situation with Denver. They've got Portland Sutton and Jerry Judy at the top of the billing. you got to have a guy like Christian Fulton to guard those guys, or even Russell Wilson in his current state is going to make the Titans defense pay. 
I don't know what the deal is with his hamstring that is now becoming a recurring issue for him. So that's something to watch for sure. Tell us about these offensive players on the injury report. There's one guy that I think is not think I know is the most important on this injury report and he's got a kind of surprising designation today. Yeah, definitely a very big surprise and finally some good news for Titans fans. Ryan Tannehill was a full participant in practice today. And Look at that. Seeing, seeing that full participation mark next to him, where do you think, what does that say to you about where Tannehill is recovery-wise? I mean, maybe I'm jumping the shark a little bit here, but that tells me he's going like, to go. With a high ankle sprain situation like he's been dealing with for going on three weeks, he wouldn't be practicing unless he felt like physically he wasn't needing any more rest like with a high ankle sprain it's not a really a huge concern for re-injury um in practice at least you know you just tape it up really really well and um i, I say it's not a, a, a re-injury concern it's it's usually not a re-injury concern once they let you back out there and so if this training staff thinks that he's in a position with this ankle to not only be limited in practice but to jump all the way up to full already I'm kind of surprised by that. I thought that he would be lifted all week just to get that extra rest. I guess that's basically what I'm saying, right? Like, he's a guy that doesn't need to practice. He can be there in a limited fashion to be a part of what's going on from a game plan standpoint, from a install standpoint, from a walkthrough standpoint. He can do all of that in limited fashion with an ankle. And even if he felt like he was trending towards playing, he would want to get maximum rest on it, right? Well, if he's already practicing in full, on a Wednesday, or on a Thursday, rather, that tells me he doesn't even feel like he needs the extra rest these next couple of days to be ready to go. He feels that that ankle is good to go. So um, we'll wait and see, and maybe I'm jumping to conclusions on that one, but it seems to me like he's on pace to absolutely play in this game and to be maybe back to 100, closer to 100% than we all expected him to be. Definitely good news for the Titans, and a couple other players has this injury report just gets longer and longer every week. A couple of guys returning back to practice. Danico Audrey, David Long, and Aaron Brewer. Full participation today. That was good to see. Moving on to a couple more good notes here for this Titans team. And I know we've talked about it before multiple times, and it's a very big recurring theme on this show. Mike Vrabel has just been dominant as the Titans head coach. Despite losing the lead in the third quarter of Sunday's game against the Chiefs, Mike Vrabel has been uh, a very good whopping 32-4 record when leading after three quarters. So it just goes to show you, like, despite the trouble they had against the Chiefs in keeping that league, it, lead, it shouldn't have been too much cause for concern going forward. Vrabel's been fantastic as a coach. He's also been fantastic as an underdog. He's now 20-7 and seven against the spread as a three or more point underdog in the NFL. Got that done on Sunday night last week. He's just really, really good at this coaching thing. Gets the most out of his players each and every week. So he's been absolutely great for the Titans. And he's a guy that, a lot like Mike Tomlin, has kind of built his identity around being a guy that gets the most out of his players. And you can never count him out in any NFL game. Yeah, moving on to the game on Sunday, of course, versus the Broncos. This game comes at a huge rest differential as the Broncos are coming off their bye. 
in week nine and the Titans are coming off a Sunday night game, it'll be interesting to see how the differential and rest affects particularly the defense who played 91 snaps on Sunday night. For reference, their average snaps per game for that defense was 55.6 so far this season. So they played almost twice as much on the field this Sunday as as to the rest of the season. Yeah, the Titans D has to be gassed after Sunday night. Now, the good news is the, the marquee element of their defense, the defensive front, has a lot of guys that rotate in and out. So they're going to have some fresh legs one way or another because they don't have guys playing every single snap, every single game. It's going to be interesting, though, with the Titans defense being the only unit on the football team that really can get anything done. Are we going to be able to see them play at a high enough level against a pretty lackluster Denver offense to keep this Titans offense in the game? Because that's what the Titans offense needs right now, whether they have Tannehill back or not. Until they get some receiving help back, they are a team that needs defensive help. They need an alley-oop from the defense to keep them in these games and to force low-scoring games in general. That'll be an interesting one to watch because defense is coming off of the most work they've had on a Sunday all year long, whereas the Denver offense and defense are coming off of extended rest. And finally, we can't get out of this new segment without talking about the developing circus known as the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, Just to clown on them a little bit more, let's talk about this uh, opening press conference here for Jeff Saturday and one quote that just kind of stuck out to us and a a lot of the media jim ursay had one of the best quotes here saying that the talking about the colts of course he said we are the fourth winningest team since 2000 that means in the upper quartile of winners we're in the top quartile of that upper quartile this man loves saying the word quartile but as well just like He's trying to he's trying to make a bad situation look a little bit good and kind of pretend like nothing's happening and the, the team is fine. But what do you, what is your take on what is going up in Indianapolis now and uh, this quote by Jim Irsay? Well, my my take is that Jim Irsay loves the word quartile, but he doesn't know what it means. <laughs> quartile refers to to refers to something being split into fourths, and so to be in the upper quartile of the upper quartile. You need to be in the top fourth of the top four, <laughs> and that's not that's not what he that's not true. Like if you go you you fact check it, they're like in the top they're like right at the halfway point of the top fourth. So like they've won a lot of games. He's right about that, but his numbers are shoddy to say the least. It's been a disaster, the Colts, and it's not one that we didn't see coming. I don't know where this team goes from now, but I can tell you. By this time, six months from now, they, uh, they're they probably going to be the AFC South favorites once again in Vegas. So the cycle repeats itself each and every year. All right, that is producer JT with the news. Let's throw it into our conversation with our man, James Foster of No Flags Film and A to Z Film Room. It's another James Foster Friday, and we had him back. Let's get into that conversation. All right, it is a James Foster Friday, and so we are joined once again by our buddy, friend of the show, James Foster from A to Z Film Room. James, how are you, man? Good to see you. It's been a little bit. Yeah, it has. I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing? 
Doing well. So we're excited to have you on and talk a little bit about the Titans today. It's been two or three weeks since we've talked. So I'm curious to hear some of your viewpoints on this team from a film perspective, as well as I think a pretty fascinating matchup the Titans have coming up here with the Broncos on Sunday. Some interesting things to talk about with this defense, but let's start with the Titans and really the the topic of the week for the Titans, the reason uh, that many pointed to in this past week's game on Sunday night against the Chiefs, one of the big reasons they weren't able to finish the game strong and ended up letting that one slip away from them was just how unbelievably poor this wide receiver played in that game. Now, it's not like it was a fluke. It's not like all season long they had been up and down. They've been bad all season, um, but it's kind of been trending in the wrong direction. That's partially due to injuries, partially due to, um, I think the quarterback situation absolutely plays a part in that. But this Titans wide receiver situation it is a disaster right now. I want to talk about some of the individuals, the first of which is Robert Woods, who is really the only guy right now playing for the Titans at receiver who you would like to have be one of the main three guys on this team at the receiver position. It's a guy that's being compensated in a way that you'd expect him to be able to put out uh, some production at, at wide receiver. He's been disappointing so far, to, to be sure. I wonder if in your film study or you're just watching the game, do you do you wonder at all if his ACL injury that he's coming off of is still holding him back at all? Or do you think that maybe there's some there's some factor in the sense that he's not a guy that can really be a wide receiver one for a team right now, and so he needs some better pieces around him? What do you make of Robert Woods so far as a tight? Yeah, I don't think Robert Woods has ever been a wide receiver one. Um, yeah. You know, the trade – I think the trade for Robert Woods was done with the idea that Traylon Burks would be the wide receiver one, or I can't remember the order of events. It was before AJ, so then that AJ was, would be around. Then that they would have a wide receiver one um, to pair with him. Uh, and so he's being forced to play a role that has never really suited him. Um you know, even even earlier in the season, I I was not, I've not really been impressed with Robert Woods' ability to just create separation this year. Um, I don't know if I wouldn't. It's hard to say. It's it's really hard to compare, uh, like the way a guy moves, unless it's super noticeable. But uh, it could be that injury is playing a factor. Well, it's not just been him, you know, this entire Titans wide receiver core. I saw, I believe earlier today, you put on Twitter some charting of wide receivers from PFF that you've thrown together in uh, some really visually pleasing formats here. But you, you pulled all the Titans receivers from PFF to the numbers they got on the Titans wide receivers versus man coverage and the uh, not just their their routes run and targets and receptions and yards, but also charting out yards per route run um it, it's pretty astonishing just how poor this receiving core has been outside of and it's a small sample size to be sure which i want to hear your thoughts on the titans two rookie wide receivers kyle phillips and Traylon burks both of which with uh well their yards per route run on your chart here are both green which i can only assume is a good thing <laughs> then it drops off significantly to robert woods as the third receiver with 1.19 yards per route run Nick Westbrook-Akine with 0.33 yards per route run against man coverage. And then the rest of the receiving core, Mason Kinsey, Cody Hollister, Chris Conley, and Josh Gordon, 
all of them with zero yards per route run, just a wasteland at the wide receiver position. The, the sample size for Kyle Phillips and Traylon Brooks is not huge, especially Kyle Phillips, who all, almost all, if not all of these numbers for him came in that one game. But has there ever been a team that has needed a pair of rookie receivers back and healthy more than the Tennessee Titans do right now? Well, to answer your first question, um, the, the conditional formatting, the in-house style that I use is a blue to red scale with green being about, you know, 80th percentile. So that's the in-house okay. style. And I, I take my conditional formatting very seriously. So yes, green is good. Um, okay. You, you do a fantastic <laughs> job. It's very easy to read. Well done. Yeah. Um, I don't know about as far as other teams needing rookie receivers back, but I mean, the and the sample size is small, but I, I think it really is indicative, at least on the negative end of Nick Westbrook, Akina, Cody Hollister, you know, all these guys inability to create separation. Um, and I mean, it's it's really the same thing. It's the exact same thing that we saw last year when A.J. Brown or Julio Jones would be out the, the Steelers yep. game comes to mind you know if a team can play man coverage against you and you can't get open there's just not a lot of ways to have success it, it's basically um you know and mike mike and uh zach talked about this but it's basically just like the, your only option is throwing up go balls because uh mm -hmm. all of our receivers were getting pressed uh, you know out the out the ass and just like running down the sideline and Malik was throwing, you know, catchable contested passes and they weren't coming down with them. So, um, yeah, that's that's going to be a problem. They're going to have to continue to play this uh, gimmicky sort of like super run heavy offense until they get at least one of Kyle Phillips or Traylon Burks back. And I really think they need both because I don't especially coming back from injury. I'm not sure that kyle phillips just as a slot only guy like he can't be your only guy that can beat man coverage still um i think with kyle phillips and Traylon burks if if they're fully healthy you're looking at like a uh, they would probably rank in 18 to 24 range league wide i would say right. um and without them i mean the the receiver group that was on the field against kansas city was I don't want to say the worst because I, I'm sure I'm forgetting someone, but like one of the probably two or three worst uh, receiving groups in the NFL. Yep. Yeah, that I that I've ever seen, and I I've not seen the numbers on this, but I wonder if you have. Are, are the tight ends creating any separation at all? I'd imagine Chig probably is the higher end there, but I'm I'm curious if they're getting any separation from the the tight ends or the running backs for that matter. Well, there's not. A there's not very many tight ends that can actually, that are actually like run routes and Separate. create a ton of separation against man coverage. It's like at any given point, it's going to be like five or six guys in the league that can do that. Um, gotcha. and, and, you know, a lot of their production is really just going to come against zone coverage and it's going to be more schemed up. Um, you know, Jeff Swaim is certainly not routing anyone up. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Chig, you know, Chig, I, I think, you know, Chig got open um, on that, he he ran his he didn't he needed to break his route a little bit uh he needed to flatten it more but he was he that overthrow that linebacker uh in Kansas against Kansas City. Well, let's go ahead and talk about the Broncos a little bit. The Titans, of course, hosting them this Sunday, catching them off the bye, the second straight game in a row they've they've caught a team off the bye. A brutal break with scheduling, but um, 
this Broncos defense has quietly been one of the best units in all of football this year. I'm curious what you've seen on tape that you've been really, maybe what or who you've seen on tape that you found so impressive with the Broncos this year. And what kind of challenge is it going to present this already struggling Titans offense on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, I think the Broncos, it's amazing how, you know, they lose Vic Vangio, who's one of the best defensive minds, um, you know, of the past decade, and their defense actually improves. And I think that speaks a lot to Patrick Sertan making that next step from being a top 10 to 15 corner as a rookie to being a top three corner this year. Um, you know, he's just been absolutely locked down. Uh, I'm looking at him right now, 64 snaps and man coverage, only four receptions uh, for 14 yards allowed on the season. And, you know, you watch the film, he's he's being asked to do the most difficult job, um, which is play boundary corner, let the defense rotate the safeties to the other side and just lock down the X receiver and man press man. Um, you know, I, I don't know that the Titans, it, it, it's funny. I mean, I, it's like, I don't know who you put Patrick Sertan on uh, if you're the Broncos, because it's, it's kind of like that meme with the, you know, the three dragons with uh, one of them like sticking its tongue out, but all three of them <laughs> are the ones that are sticking their tongue out for the Titans. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, Almost it's like having elite corners against the Titans is almost overkill because I, I don't think you need Patrick, Patrick Sertan. Um, but they've got Baron Browning, who's a converted off-ball linebacker playing edge rusher, super freaky athletic traits, uh, went to Ohio State, got drafted a couple years ago, I think. Um, and he's been great this season. Um, and then offensively, we were uh, you referenced the yards per route run against man coverage chart. Jerry Judy leads the NFL with six yards per route run against man coverage. And again, which is small so fascinating size. to me. But, um, you know, I, I think he's actually taken a, a step forward this year. It's interesting with Jerry Judy. He he was kind of like every he was everyone's draft crush. And that led to him being overrated for his first couple years in the league. Exactly. He had, he had injuries. and then. Um, just didn't really perform up to his expectations. He was always a fine receiver, but just not at, at that level that he that you know he had gotten the reputation for. And then it, I've almost noticed. I mean, I heard it on F words last night, and I've and it, I, it's not just F words. Like I've heard so many people uh, say as if they're saying this like hot take that you know what I actually think Jerry Judy's overrated, and it's gotten to the point where he's becoming underrated because everyone <laughs> thinks he's overrated, and he's actually pretty good. Um, so that's my Jerry Judy rant for the day. Well, that's interesting. I, yeah, I, I was definitely one of those people that I, I don't think, I didn't think that Jerry Judy was very good coming into this year. And that's partially a fantasy take um, because in fantasy, he's, he's not very good, but uh, in real football, I think he definitely has improved this year. And I've been impressed with the numbers of his that I've seen. The last question I have for you before we get you out of here is this, we're kind of at the midpoint of the NFL season so far. And I wanted to, as, as somebody who is a uh, certified sicko when it comes to NFL football and tape, I know that you've watched every single snap of Titans football so far this year. You have evaluated each and every player that has played for the Titans this year. I want to get your take on which position group for the Titans has been the most surprising and the most disappointing at this point 
of the NFL season. Who who has who has uh, maybe not surprising, but the most uh, pleasant, the most surprising. impressive group to you? Right. Um, let's see. I would say I'll kind of group edge and defensive line just into the front, you know, front four. Um, mm-hmm. Literally, if I were to, if you were to ask me the best case scenario, obviously outside of Harold Landry, best case scenario for pretty much all of the players, you know, you're seeing what that would look like. Tier Tart takes mm-hmm. a massive step. I mean, way more of a step forward than I would have even expected. And I'm, I've always been high on Tier Tart, but um, you know, he's gone from just kind of a, a, a flashy playmaker, a story. just consistent down to down being a really good defensive lineman, Jeffrey Simmons, um, you know, his career arc just in terms of development is literally just a straight line up. It's, <laughs> it's like, if you were to, it's like what I'm saying, if you were to ask me this season, what things does Jeffrey Simmons need to improve on? Um, you know, I would say anchor and run defense. I would say um, consistency in terms of his pass, pass rush plan and, you know, uh, creating pressure against good offensive lines and not just kind of the, the bottom five teams on the schedule. And that's what he's done. He's really improved his run defense and he's had a huge impact every game except for the Kansas City one. And he was getting a lot of double team attention. And then you've got the Demarcus Walker, Mario Edwards um, guys that they're rotating in there that have given them a lot of production. So I would say the front four uh, was thought to be pretty good heading into the season, but they've surpassed, I think, everyone's expectations. Biggest disappointment. Um, let's see. Disappointment. I mean, I don't really, none of, there isn't a position group that's been very disappointing to me because I didn't have high expectations for the offensive line or the receiver group. And those are really the two that um, have been bad. I would say maybe safeties. Um, Kevin Byard. What did you say? I'm sorry. I was going to say maybe safety is the one that came to mind for me as well. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Byard is, has come back down to earth. I would say like, he's not having an all pro level season. Um, and Amani Hooker has been good when he's on the field, but he just hasn't been able to stay healthy. Um, so yeah, those, I mean, that would probably be the biggest disappointment, but if you were to just ask me how, what do you think of the safeties this year? I wouldn't label them a disappointment. Um, just a little bit underperforming. Gotcha. Well guys, it's James Foster. He's fantastic. And that's why we keep having him back on each and every week that we can get hooked up with them. And we appreciate your insight, James. Tell the listeners what you have going on right now with A to Z Film Room and No Flags Film on Twitter. That's where you can check them out, of course, at No Flags Film on Twitter. And uh, James, you got some some stuff in the in the barrel here to come out soon. Some some work you've put out recently. What do people need to see of yours? Yeah, I did a full breakdown of Malik Willis's second start against Kansas City. Um, got one Titans video every week. Uh, do a report card where I give you in-depth breakdown of every single player you know watch every single snap and grade them and um you know try to give people insight that don't have time to grind the film um and then a lot of other content covering players around the league you know we're trying to it's interesting with seo um i actually kind of like it because like we can't really make videos about you know tom brady because it's just going to get drowned out in the colin coward um you know (laughs) Yeah. whatever like all the all the big names um and so 
I'm trying to target these, you know, smaller kind of up and coming players, which I'm really enjoying because I'm getting to, you know, learn, learn a lot of players that you don't normally get to watch. Um, and so, yeah, been really enjoying it. And I think we're making some good content. So definitely go uh, check us out and subscribe on YouTube. James, you rock. Thanks for talking with us this week. We'll talk to you again next week, man. Be good. Have a good one. All right, we are in uh, very special circumstances here, joined once again by QB Takeover man himself, Sean McAvoy. He is the quarterback coach over at QB Takeover, working with some of the very best and brightest young quarterbacks in the league. He, of course, we've had him on the show a couple of times already to talk about Malik Willis. Um, We decided we wanted to have him back on this week because we've got two weeks of real Malik Willis game tape game action to discuss. Sean, welcome back to the show. How are you, my man? Easton, I'm doing really well, man. I appreciate you having me. Thank you for being with us. We wanted to talk about Malik today, and we got two weeks of live NFL action to discuss this year, which, frankly, I wasn't expecting to have an opportunity to have you back during the regular season this year because I didn't think we'd be seeing Malik. But Ryan Tannehill goes down for the first time as a Tennessee Titan, and Malik is uh called up got his number called in two games now we'll we'll see if he goes again this week it's a a, just a matter of health i think um with ryan tano before he's back but i want to talk first about his first action in in the houston game because they were pretty different to me and i'm curious if they were different to you his first game versus his second game in his first game and and we got to preface it of course to be fair to malik the titans put him in uh, circumstances with his offensive line and with the weapons at his disposal that were less than ideal and against this houston team they clearly did not need to do a whole lot in the passing game so we didn't get to see a whole lot of that from malik but in his first action what were your thoughts on his performance in houston yeah i mean i think you said it i think you know you never know when that first opportunity to get on the field is going to be and so just to be prepared as best you can and be ready, be relaxed, be comfortable within the offense. You know, I think there were a lot of good things from that standpoint where, you know, it didn't seem like the moment was too big for him, obviously going on the road, uh, playing your first game. I think a lot of that has to do with the support and kind of the confidence that the coaching staff has kind of shown him and his teammates around him, you know, made him feel ready for that moment. So, so just things like, you know, we go back to the preseason, all you heard, Downing and Vrabel and, and, and Pat O'Hara talk about was, you know, having to get better with the operation and getting out of the huddle and get plays off, things of that nature. You know, I think that's a big check mark there of just how efficient that was. So first and foremost, you're looking for that. Um, you know, and then it was it was just, you know, you're trying to execute with the opportunities that you have. Um, you know, and obviously missed a couple throws that, that could have been big plays. Uh, you had the turnover, you know, so there's certainly things on the negative side. Um, but I think the way he executed, you know, a lot of that zone read type scheme in the run game and, you know, the way that he had to be accounting for, um, you know, as, as an extra potential threat uh, with the ball in his hands, you know, certainly helped hold some some backside uh, pressure and things like that and, and opened up some running lanes. So, you know, obviously, uh, we know, you know, at the end of the day, you say, okay, Derrick Henry is Derrick Henry. He has a monster game. He deserves all that credit. The offensive line certainly had a big game, did their piece. How much of it is, you know, how bad Houston is defensively. But I think another piece of that has to be, 
you know, Malik's ability to, to add to that as well. And I think those things all come together and you end up with a big game on the ground. Well, we did a lot of analysis and breakdown on that first performance here in the, the national sports media ecosystem. And we, on the Mike Herndon show, which I'm an executive producer on, we, we went through a lot of the tape and a lot of the notes that we had for, for Malik were along the lines of processing and decision-making. And in a rookie, in a rookie quarterback's first NFL start, you'd you'd be shocked if those weren't at the top of the list of things to improve on. Um, and and so I think we saw in his second start against a, a much better team, uh, in a in a much more hostile road environment, um, with arguably an even worse situation around him with the players that he had at his disposal. I, I thought we, we saw Malik make some strides just on a week-to-week basis. What did you think about his second game? Yeah, I mean, the thing that struck me was just how much more comfortable he was, it seemed. Um, Absolutely. You know, if we just go start to finish, kind of like what we talked about in the Texans game, you know, operation was as clean as it could be. I don't think there were any snap penalties. I mean, you know, you could see the checks at the line he was making and things of that nature in both games. You know, and just as an observer, it seemed like every time he was – hanging a play or checking to something ending up being a big run, which right. So just commonsensically without me even understanding their scheme necessarily, it just seems like that was a good audible, right? So things like that, you're yep. seeing plays get created. Um, you know, I think obviously he, he, I think he made good decisions with where he went with the football. You know, obviously when he got man and he knew pressure was coming, taking one-on-one shots on the outside. And once again, I'm sure that's, that was the game plan going in. Um, and then, uh, you know, continuing to be able to add to the run game, you know, and this time with Kansas City probably putting more of an onus on trying to stop Derrick Henry, it creates more runs for Malik. And he had, you know, three or four, you know, kind of explosive plays in the run game there, moving the chains yep. with his feet, things of that nature. So, you know, I think I think clearly it's so funny because if you're just a guy who wants to look at the stat line, you're saying, oh, well, the second game was just like the first one, right? You know, I think the right. big differences were – um, you know, the, the throws he made, decisions he made, where he put the ball, um, you know, and and then just, you know, what he had available to him as far as who was open and, you know, kind of what the scheme dictated. So. No, I completely agree, Sean. And, and you said it when you go and look at those two box scores. If you were box score scouting his performances, you'd say that there wasn't a whole lot of difference between the two. But the eye test would tell you that they were entirely different performances and that progress week to week was really encouraging. Um, when was the last yeah, time I mean, you I spoke think... with Malik? Do you, do you have any interaction with him at this point in his career? Oh yeah. Yeah. Of course. I mean, we're probably talking three or four times a week. I was there in Houston. Okay. Um, you know, obviously wanted to be there for his first start uh, to talk to him, you know, yeah. before and after the game in Houston and then, uh, and then talk to him, you know, probably when they were, you know, uh, right after they flew back Sunday night from Kansas City. Yeah. Um, you know, and talked to him already this week. So, you know, just, uh, yeah, I think the first thing is I just kind of want to see where he's at, right? Like, how does he feel? What does he think, you know? And then it's always interesting to get, you know, some of the feedback of, you know, what did what did the coaches think, right? When you guys are watching film, what was kind of their reaction? Because that's the reality is, you know, it's it's – easy and we're all we're all fall victim to it of wanting to like make our own judgments or you know oh i watched the film and there was this guy 
on the backside that he should have thrown to. You know, we, maybe we don't know what the progression is or, you know, what he's being coached to do and things of that nature. So yep. uh, to kind of get, hey, what did – I know what you felt. I know what I saw. Interesting to hear kind of what some of the feedback was from, from you know, Pat O'Hara and, and Todd Downing and, you know. Well, and, Sean, and haven't, what haven't spoken to Malik things. and his coaches. Yeah. What, what, what has his mentality been like? What, what, what have you gathered from Malik in his, in his time starting? Do you, do, you, do you get the sense that he's kind of figuring things out as he goes here? Yeah, for sure. I think you can, you can feel the, the, the confidence building, you know, every time he's on the field, which is kind of natural, right? You know, I think yeah, he, his feeling is what you would expect. He felt a lot better after the win than he did after the loss, right? And so there's no – sure. it's kind of the funny thing. There's no no part of this is like, well, I thought I played better in the second one. You know, those are the things that maybe most guys don't. That's what you want. Malik, yeah, Malik doesn't really care right. about that piece. It's, it's whatever it takes to get a win. I mean, if he can – if they can have a 14-point league at halftime or, you know, go up 17-3 like they did in Houston and then he – Literally, they do not have to throw the ball again. He's fine, right? You know, and hold on for a win. And, you know, obviously Kansas City going down 9 nothing early and having to do things differently and be more aggressive. I think he showed the ability to do that as well. And, um, you know, and just weren't able to hold on at the end. So, you know, I think there's always frustration because it's a game, especially Kansas City, that you felt like you could have won. And one of the conversations we had was like, you know, it's oh, so – it's so, you know, everybody wants to say, like, oh, if, if that one thing had went our way, we would have won. You know, mm-hmm. I was laughing with Malik. I'm like, it felt like there were 14 things and only you needed one of them to happen, right? It was <laughs> like, yes. you know, like, if one of those catches happened or you get a pass interference call or they don't call that block in the back on Malik's it, or, run. Or or like, it like, get three attempts at a two-point conversion. Yeah, you know, you know? Yeah. I mean, so it's yeah. like, yeah. it was like, you know, it wasn't like, Man, like that one play that could have went either way. It was like, no, we just needed one of those twelve things to happen. Because um, it, it felt, I mean, I, you know, and it felt like if they had just gotten a field goal in the second half and gone up eleven, that game was over. Um, you know, so that so it's frustrating, I think, from that sense, and obviously because of how well Derek played in the offensive line, because of how well the defense played. You know, Malik's always going to take that on himself that he couldn't you know, maybe do enough to get the wing on his head. Well, Sean, we appreciate your time. We've got one more question for you before yeah. you get out of here. Having spoken to Malik, watched him play in his first couple of starts here as his quarterback coach, looking looking ahead in his career as he continues to develop and, and you know, I being a, a starting quarterback in the NFL long-term one day very soon, what – advice have you given to him or what advice would you give to him as his co- as, as his coach rather um just what what he needs to be working on right now what do you think he needs to be developing behind the scenes to take the next step yeah i mean i think i think a lot of it's just continuing to understand how to prepare as starting nfl quarterbacks do Right. And he's been able to start to learn that on the job these last two weeks. Right. It's a hard thing to replicate when you're not in that position. You know, you do the best you can of of soaking it all up and being around and what the starters are doing and try to copy them. But doing it for real, you just can't replicate. Um, The other thing is just making sure that that you're making the improvements that like when you get the game film and then you meet with the coaches on, you know, Sunday, Monday and go through it. And then, you know, when you get back on Wednesday, 
that we're making the, the the fixes that need to be made and we're continuing to improve. Like you said, I think we saw some of that from Houston to Kansas City. And if he plays this weekend, you know, I'm just hoping to see him take that next step. Um, so that's it. I mean, you know, you want to continue to make this uh, this development continue to progress uh, each week and each opportunity. Well, Sean, we really appreciate your time. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. Hey, we were talking before we hopped on the recording here about what you guys have going on over at QB Takeover this year, getting ready for the draft cycle already. And uh, I know that there's some some secret names in the works. you got some big college quarterbacks coming out that are going to be working with you all, so that's exciting. I'm sure we're going to have a lot to talk about with you in the spring, if, if not sooner, just looking towards the draft and talking about some of these prospects. So it's been a pleasure. Everybody, go check him out. Sean McAvoy. He is the court, one of the quarterback coaches over at QB Takeover. Sean, it's been fantastic speaking with you, man. I appreciate you, brother. Good luck, man. We'll talk soon. Thanks. All right, before we get out of here on Friday, we've got to do our best segment of the week, my favorite segment of the week at the very least. It's the best bet gauntlet. JT and I have been going head-to-head each and every week, if you're new around here. We've been picking our five favorite games, drafting our five favorite games to bet on the spread on the NFL weekend, and uh, we are keeping track of that score to see throughout the season who is the better better on the show, who's the sharp supreme of the Hot Read podcast, and so far... Uh, it's very tight. JT, can you update us on the standings where we are about about halfway through the year now? What's the what's our records look like? Yeah, so looking halfway through the year, it is closer than it ever could be. And it kind of goes along with what we've seen this season. I mean, so much parody in the league, so much weird stuff going on every single week. But of course, I had one still waiting in the wings since we spoke to y'all last week. With Baltimore minus two and a half, of course, I cashed that one, which brought my record to 21, 20, and four. Of course, Easton, you are about a half game, game and a half ahead at 22, 20, and three. So it is still through, uh, halfway through this season, it's anybody's game. But without further ado, JT, give us your first overall pick of the week 10 best bet gauntlet. Yeah, so of course, I'm kind of lucky, I think, going first this week. Thank you for letting me pick first this week. And I'm going to go with one um, that, I I mean, it's just a no-brainer, at least to me. I'm going Raiders minus five. Of course, we talked in the news segment today at just the circus and clown show that is going on in Indianapolis this week. I'm going to take Raiders minus five at home, desperate 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 for a win and their opponent coming into town of course is now the jeff saturday led colts who by the way have an offensive (laughs) coordinator who's never called offensive coordinators or plays for that matter we have a (laughs) interim head coach who has never coached a game in college or professional football it it just makes sense to me here that the raiders are going to come out and take care of business here and get a much needed win. Give me Raiders minus five. Yeah. As much as I uh, would love to argue that the Colts are going to get their Jeff Saturday bump in this one. I just don't see that being the reality. So I like that pick with my first pick of the week 10 best bet gauntlet. I'm going to go with the Seahawks 
plus two and a half, getting two and a half points on the road in Tampa Bay. A couple of reasons here. First of all, Tampa Bay won a game last week against the Rams that was, it, it felt like a winner leaves town, or a loser rather, leaves town match. And they pulled that game out of their butts, man. They, they won that game at the very end, and the Rams' defense fell apart, allowing Tom Brady and company to uh, get just enough points to win that game. But they still only managed less than 20 points in a game against the defense. The Rams' defense, not exactly terrifying this year. In that game, they played really poorly. The Seahawks' defense has been trending in the right direction, and I think right now they may be even a better defense than the Rams' defense has. Uh, I don't know if Tampa Bay, actually, I, I don't think that Tampa Bay can keep up with the scoring potential of Geno Smith and these Seahawks on offense. I feel like it's going to be a shootout that the Buccaneers just can't keep up with. So give me the Seahawks to win outright. I'll take them getting two and a half points on the road at Tampa Bay. I like that pick. And with my second pick, speaking of a team that needs a win very badly, the Los Angeles Rams, I'm going to take them at home here, minus one and a half. <clears throat> I think it's just a classic case of the Rams are getting, it's it's getting down the time here halfway through the season where they've got a surprise team in Seattle and a very, very good team in the 49ers. Kind of <laughs> making it, making running away here with this division. And I'm looking here at LA to get a win, minus one and a half over the ever spiraling uh, Arizona Cardinals. I, I just think mm. right now this team is going to just will themselves to a win here and win outright by maybe a field goal. It's going to be a close game for sure, as the line says, but I think the Rams are just going to want it more. I think they have the better defense. I think they have not a better offense, but a well or better coached offense, I guess is the term for it. So give me the Rams minus one and a half. With my second pick in the Week 10 Best Bet gauntlet, I'm going to ride with the hometown team. I'll take the Tennessee Titans now at minus three at Denver. Now, at the time of us recording this on Thursday, this line has been moving. It had been hanging around uh, Tennessee minus two and a half, moved up to three once we saw the Ryan Tannehill injury situation news with him being full at practice today. I think that Tennessee wins this game outright, and um, the, you know they may do it by a field goal. But before this line moves to the hook to get minus three and a half for Tennessee, I'll take them at minus three, um, assuming that Ryan Tannehill is trending towards playing in this game. Even though Denver is coming off of the bye, I just think that Tennessee is the better team here, and they will win this game that they uh, are, are going to need to win an AFC game that is important to them and important down this stretch that they not uh, we're falling back down to around 500, continue to maintain the record of the lead that they have um, in the AFC South. Um, I think I think that they're the better team and that they'll win this game outright. So I'll take them minus three. Uh, versus the Broncos. With my third pick, this is probably one of my riskiest picks this week. It could really go either way, but I'm going to shift to another game involving an AFC South team. I'm going to take Jacksonville here, plus nine and a half. Now, I know, of course, Easton on this show mm. not had very much luck with the Jacksonville Jaguars. I have disavowed the Jacksonville Jaguars. However, I will not bet them any longer. However, I'm going to try my hand here, taking them plus nine and a half, going into Arrowhead. 
And really my only reasoning here is that I think they have offensive firepower to score points in this game, and I just think it is too many points in general. I think if they can score mm. a touchdown or two and get a couple field goals in here, I don't think, of course, they're going to win by any stretch of the imagination. But plus 9.5 to me just seems a little too big, so I will take Jacksonville with my third pick. All right, with my third pick, I'm going to take a rah-rah Mike Tomlin spot here. This is a classic <laughs> Mike Tomlin. After week five, as an underdog, <clears throat> he has been tremendous, something like 14-2-1 against the spread in the past couple of years. So I got to take Pittsburgh getting one and a half points versus New Orleans. They're going to be at home. They're going to be rested. And coming off the bye, this is important. With rookies coming off the bye, you oftentimes see a pretty significant jump pre-buy versus post-buy for these guys when they get a chance to go into the meeting rooms, into the locker rooms, and not just get a physical rest and a break in that regard, but they get a chance to really do some self-scouting during their bye week. These rookies can make significant leaps mentally, and that can be key to their development. I think that guys like George Pickens and Kenny Pickett are going to take advantage of this bye, and Mike Tomlin's going to have them coached up and ready to go against the New Orleans team that right now, frankly, I don't know what their identity is. The uh, the reported renaissance of Andy Dalton was greatly exaggerated. Um, it turns out that they were just playing some really, really, really bad teams. Uh, they were really outed on Monday Night Football this week against the Ravens. Andy Dalton looked terrible. They don't seem to have any faith in um, Taysom Hill or Jameis Winston. And so I'm not sure what they're doing at the quarterback position. And until I know that, I don't have any faith in their offense to be able to score any points. And although Pittsburgh's offense has been lacking, to say the least, I at least see upside in that regard. So give me Pittsburgh, give me Mike Tomlin to cover his dog. One and a half points at home coming off the bye. With my fourth pick here, I, I'm going to have to kind of quick pivot here because I was eyeing that one as well. I like everything you said about that and kind of agree with you on how I'm seeing that game as well. But I'm going to pick the fourth and final AFC South game of the week here. So we're going to have all four teams on our boards in one way or another. However, I'm going to pick oh, against no. this AFC South team and I'm going to take the New York Giants minus four at home against mm. Houston and really my reasoning for this is that I think the Giants come out better than ever on the bye here now of course uh, as long as they can keep Daniel Jones or Saquon Barkley from also getting into some ATV accidents here uh, with some injuries this practice week <laughs> I think the Giants go into this game looking at uh, kind of what the Titans did and it's going to be a heavy heavy Saquon game here and I think that minus four, I think they win by a touchdown or more. We've talked about how this Houston Texans team is kind of sneaky at times, but I really just don't see the Giants losing or even coming close to losing at home here. So I'll take them minus four. Uh, I like that pick a lot. With my fourth pick, I'm going to go with the Chargers getting a full touchdown plus seven on the road at San Francisco. Yes, San Francisco is getting back some key defensive weapons, and that's going to be helpful for this team to kind of get out of the slump that they've been in recently. I don't love the Chargers. I've been very vocal about the fact that I think that they have a uh, moron for a coach. I do not think Brandon Staley is good at his job at all. I think that they underutilize their star quarterback in a criminal fashion, and they have so much 
talent on this team that goes underutilized, it's astonishing. They also have significant injury problems. So I'm giving you all the reasons why this pick is scary, but the reason I don't think it's scary, and I, I do think that the Chargers getting a full touchdown is a big deal, is that we've seen this Charger team in these primetime spots be wacky and weird and sometimes wonderful and sometimes heartbreaking. This is the Sunday Night Football game this week. I think they're going to be up and ready to go. They don't likewise need to win this game necessarily. Their playoff hopes are still very much alive. They're above 500 at the moment. But to stay in the race, in their division, which they very desperately want to do, and in a division that they have swept has been very disappointing this year as compared to what the expectations for them were coming into the year, they are really the only team that is in a position to challenge the Chiefs still. And I think they want to do that. They, they have to win a couple of games and then win against the Chiefs to eat a series. But I think this is a game Brandon Daly is filling up the seat, creeping up on him each and every week. And I think Justin Herbert's continuing to get healthier from that early season rib injury. So I like them to cover, maybe not necessarily win, to keep the game close enough on Sunday Night Football to cover the seven-point spread. Moving into our final pick of the week. And of course, we've been going back to back head uh, every week, kind of head to head in at least one game or more. But this week, we're only going to have at one, least one. Yep. At least one. We're going to have one head to head game here for you this week. And it's going to be this Cowboys Packers game. Of course, with my final pick, I will be taking the Cowboys minus four and a half. Listen, I think this Packers team is spiraling out of control. I really just don't see Aaron Rodgers making an impact competitively wise. It's not going to be enough for them to get their season back on track, for me at least, seeing this game. And with the number one defense in the Dallas Cowboys coming in town in Lambeau, Aaron Rodgers, I just normally he owns the Packers, but of course, he really does not have any offensive weapons to own them with, along with a lot of key starters for this Green Bay defense out. That's why I will be taking Cowboys minus four and a half. Now, Easton, you, you don't see this game the way I do. I don't, JT. And listen, I, I, not only do I love our listeners, but I respect our listeners. So I'm going to be honest with you here. I'm not going to not going to BS my way around this one. I'll just cut to the chase. Since I'm on vacation this week, <laughs> and it is also my birthday today, I've had a lot going on, and uh, I'm also a little bit under the weather, but I've, needless to say, not been paying attention to the, the lines as well this week as I typically do. So I've been leaning heavily in my analysis in the best bet gauntlet on people that I trust, some sharps in Vegas who I follow and respect keep up with and this is one of those where I'm just having to ride the wise hand ticket. Now it could be a sharp trap could it could be the Dallas defense just be too much to bear for Aaron Ross and company. Totally could. Could be a sharp trap, eat my words in this one, but sharp money, the smart money in Vegas. Love, love, loves this Green Bay side in the game. Now is it the fact that they are a pretty significant home dog plus four and a half in Lambeau in mid-November possibly and you know we don't know what kind of advantage that might give them 
in terms of weather and in terms of home field crowd and all of that. But this is a game where Aaron Rodgers, like you said, historically has owned the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys are good this year, but I think they may be a little bit overperforming their talent right now. I'm not sure they're as good as they've seemed in recent weeks. I'm not I'm not sure they're at you know a borderline top five team in the league right now. And I, I think eventually they're gonna come back down to earth a little bit in that regard. Not to mention, if Zeke is back this week, whether it's the right thing to do or not, they're gonna be forced to play him because Jerry Jones, the dictator czar, Grand Poobah of the Dallas Cowboys, has dictated from upon high that this team still goes as Zeke goes. And if he is back, that's nothing if not a detriment for this team because Tony Pollard is clearly the better back. Um, I think that they could, you know, give him enough rope to hang themselves on that one. I could see this this Packers offense maybe finding a little bit of life. Now, is their season already over? Probably. I think almost certainly. But to them, this has to feel like a game that they have to win to keep their season alive against an NFC opponent in the Cowboys they're going to feel like they need to win this game. So I'll ride with Green Bay, and we'll go ahead and head on that one. So those are our best bet gauntlet week 10 edition picks. JT, can you recap what we've got on the board to keep going on? Yeah, let's run it down real quick. Of course, this week I will be riding with Raiders minus five here. LA minus one and a half. Jacksonville plus nine and a half, my only dog of the week. The Giants minus four, and the Cowboys minus four and a half. As for Easton, he will be riding with a couple of dogs here. Seattle plus two, Pittsburgh plus one and a half, Chargers plus seven, and Green Bay plus four and a half. Actually, four dogs. His sole, uh, his sole favorite of the week is the Tennessee Titans at minus three. I wish you good luck this week, and let's uh, hopefully make our, oh no, our listeners some money. Yeah, let's make some money, but I just got the PTSD now because I did four dogs and one favorite week one, and my one favorite was the Titans in that week, and I went four and one. So hopefully, for Titans fans, it's not a uh, Groundhog's Day situation here, and I don't have a great week, but it comes at the cost of the Titans blowing one at home. But yeah, that's our best bet gauntlet this week. We're going to make some money. We're going to keep to see who can win this competition outright and make as much money as we can along the way. That is it for the Best Bet Gauntlet. That is it for our show today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Before you go, a couple of things. First of all, we will be back in our normal capacity on Monday. I'm so excited to be back. Of course, I've been enjoying my vacation. I'm going to continue to enjoy it these next couple of days that I have. But by Sunday, I'll be back covering the Titans in the press box on Sunday afternoon. And uh, we'll have the winners and losers winners and losers column back up and at them for broadwaysportsmedia.com this week, as well as a full-fledged, full effort, full of content episode of the Hot Read Podcast early Monday morning. We'll be back on a regular schedule for the rest of the season. Very excited about that. If you're not listening to, and I want to give this shout-out to some of our other shows because we haven't mentioned them in a while. If you are not watching the Mike Herndon show, you got to do that. I'm the executive producer. I'm off this week, but... Our guy, Zach Lyons of Football and Other F-Words, filled in. And that's a great show that should be up by now by the time you're listening to the sound of my voice. And we've also got the Football and Other F-Words show on Tuesdays. Do you want to check – excuse me, on Wednesdays, you want to check those out. As well as the Music City Audible on Mondays and Thursdays and the Second and Victory podcast with Austin Nelson and the boys on Thursday morning as well. Needless to say – We've got content for every kind of Titans fan on the uh, Broadway Sports Media 
podcast network right now. Each and every day of the week, <clears throat> we have got content coming out for you that you want to check out. Go and subscribe. Become a Broadway insider at broadwaysportsmedia.com. If you haven't already, get all this great content and more. You can get full-fledged access, and it also helps us keep the lights on, so we appreciate that. If you have not commented um, on our podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, you got to go and leave a review and rate us five stars. You can leave a review, say whatever you want, and we will read it aloud and shout you out on the show. We much appreciate that. Until then, I will say uh, ahoy from the middle of the ocean and goodbye for uh, the the podcast via sat, satcom here that are, I'm sure, getting old. I appreciate you guys listening and, and bearing with our uh, technical troubles this week, uh, challenges this week. Until then, I am Easton Freeze for JT. This has been the Hot Read Podcast, and we will talk to you on Monday.